0: Well, certainly all creation is going to sing his praises one day. I'm so glad to see a glimpse of it today among my kid and everyone else. And so praise the Lord for what he's doing in the lives of our kids and that we can witness his glory even among them. So we're continuing today in our series as I'm standing up here now. I'm going to spend some time with you all in the Word of God. We're going to continue our series in Matthew. So if you'll turn with me to the book of Matthew... And we're in chapter 4, and we're in verses 18 through 22. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. If you'll read with me, and we can see a, a glimpse of Jesus even here in this passage. Verse 18 While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in a boat with Zebedee, their father mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Let's bow in the word of prayer. Father, we praise you, we thank you, Lord, for this worship service, for singing songs and and being able to hear children sing praises to you, Lord. We know, Lord, this is not just something that we do as a ritual but rather it is an act of worship that is coming from each one of our hearts so lord we ask that today lord that this morning that you may open our eyes to worship you even more so father through your word as it already has been a great worship time for us this morning but elevate our worship to see jesus in our lives in jesus name we pray amen Falling the wrong crowd or following the wrong people can be devastating for our lives. A story is written in the mid-1800s by a Danish poet named Hans Christian Andersen. The story really lasted through all entire time since then till now and it has been translated to many languages in the world and is adapted to various media forms including operas, musicals and animated films. It captured the imagination of mankind, it truly did, and certainly lasted through time because it is a story that each one of us can relate to. Today, it is mainly used as a kid's story, as a story called, that you might be surprised, called The Ugly Duckling. (laughs) The Ugly Duckling, born among ducks, was actually not a duck, but a swan. And being born with other ducks, he always thought that he was an ugly duck because his feather looked different. His feather looked white as opposed to yellow as other ducks were and his beak looked different. It was longer as opposed to what other ducks were having and he also makes a different sound. He makes a honking sound as opposed to a quacking sound. However, growing up among other ducks, he also always thought that he was the ugly duck because he did not look like any of the ducks that he was growing up with. So he always sought to fit in with the other ducks, followed the duck's mother, and they never paid any attention to to him, and only at the end of all his efforts and all his attempts, he was rejected and left all alone. So throughout this entire time, and there's a longer version of the story, he spent much Miserable time in his life seeking to fit in with various other groups, other birds, other animals, until he came across a group of swans. And he was miserable up to this point until he came across swans and found out that he was actually a swan himself. All this time he should have been following swans instead of living a miserable life following other birds or other animals. Now, this story lasted through time because it really is something that we can all relate to in our human experience. We all have experienced at times in our lives where we indeed follow the wrong crowd or pursue the wrong goals in our lives and definitely felt miserable in the whole process. So, how does it start? At first, we see another person or a group of people and they live a certain lifestyle and we are jealous of them. We feel like we want to have that also for our lives. So we pursue that for ourselves. And in the pursuit, and because we love it so much, we want it so much, we compromise our morals, we compromise our beliefs, we sell our values, we sell our soul. And so we say we sin against God, we sin against things that we know it is wrong and in order so that we may have that life which we desire to have. However, even after violating our own conscience and living with the pain of having violated our own conscience, for many of us, we still did not achieve that goal. And the pain truly hits our hearts. When we have given our best shot, we spend everything we have and we still find ourselves not fitting in the crowd which we desire to fit in with, and we're still not accepted by those people we try hard to be accepted by. In our life, And at that time, we become truly depressed, and we despair over life. Not only at that time do we just simply suffer in our depression, in our despair, we individually, must still face the God of the universe who is calling us to give an accountability over our lives. Our God, who is holy, who is just, who absolutely cannot tolerate sin in his presence, is going to look at us. And at that day, he is still going to punish sins. So after we live this miserable life on earth, we're yet still going to face a greater misery, which is eternal punishment in hell. It's miserable. Indeed it is. Our God, however, as we're going to see in this passage and see throughout the scriptures, He loves us. He cares for us. Desires not to punish us, but to call us back unto Himself so that we may live the life that which He designed for us to live. God actually designed for each one of us to live a different life than the life which we sought to live after in this world. God actually called for each one of us to live a life of following not any other ideologies, not any other kinds of people, but to follow Him and Him alone. So what He did is that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to earth to live a life, to live that perfect life, only in the end to die on the cross for our sins. But he's doing so because he desired to restore each one of us back to himself. So he died on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins. And after he paid for the penalty, and as he paid for the penalty of our sins, he's giving his perfect life, his perfect righteousness to us, so that we may have his righteousness. So that in the end of our life, God now sees us. Or even now, as we have accepted Jesus, God now sees us as perfect as Jesus is. And he resurrected from the dead, so that we may also resurrect as he resurrected and live eternally with him. That's the beauty of the gospel. That is how Jesus Christ restores us back to God. It's also through this that we're going to be restored back to the purpose which we are created for. The purpose to follow him and to live for him. So in this passage, we're going to see this truth in display. We're going to see that God is calling for each one of us to follow him with our lives. And we're going to see this here in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 through 22. Now, we've all done this. We've all lived our lives for our own goals, our own pursuits, our own ambitions. In the end, and many of us have experienced it, is that we felt miserable at the end. We did, and we do. Feel miserable because we're not achieving our goals, and we sold our soul, we sold our values, and we're still not there and yet, we're still going to face that eternal judgment of God in that eternity, and we know that judgment is coming. However, today, we can do something different. We can follow the one, Jesus Christ, who can determine our lives and direction of our lives. We're going to follow him. We can choose to follow him. As we follow him in the way in which we're living, God is going to determine for us which direction we're going to go and what decision that we're going to make. And as we are making those decisions, God actually tremendously blesses us with peace, with joy, because now we know that we're living right. We're living right for the Lord. We're blessed with eternal peace, internal joy. Even in the times that are hard and difficult, we know that God is going to care and take care of and us because we're living for Him. God is calling each one of us to believe unto him and to follow him with our lives as we're going to see here in this passage. And the first thing that he calls us to do here, what we're going to see in this passage is this. In following him, God is calling us to surrender everything to follow him. God is calling us to surrender everything to follow him. let's read again from this passage in verse 18 through 22. Verse 18. And he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So here in the story, we see that Jesus is calling his first disciples, his first fishermen disciples. And here what we're going to see is that he's calling them to surrender everything in their life to follow him. Calling them to surrender everything so that they may live their lives now for what truly is going to impact for eternity. So, so far, we see that Jesus Christ is presented by Matthew to be the Messiah of the world, the Savior of the world. As Savior of the world, he's calling men, he's calling women to follow him, to repent of their sins, to begin to live their lives, surrender everything, and following him. So here we see that Jesus is calling his first disciples, he's calling Andrew, James, John, and Peter, and first he spotted two men for here in verse 18. First he sees Simon, who is called Peter, and he sees later, or and also Andrew, and sees later in verse 21, two other men, John and James, they're both washing their nets or casting their nets here by the shore. is calling these four men to follow himself. So, here we're reading about Andrew, Peter, James, and John really for the first time, are we not, here in the book of Matthew? And we might think. That Jesus is also meeting them for the first time. That Jesus met this person randomly on the Sea of Galilee and he's working up such amazing charm that he can go up to complete strangers and say, hey, you, follow me. And they're just going to drop everything and follow him. That Jesus is this type of God. And he certainly is if he wanted to. However, the scripture actually calls us or tells us that Jesus met these people or these four men at a prior time. Even before this. Because before this, Jesus met them and actually was telling them to follow him and surrender everything for him. Prior to this, prior to this, what he did was this. Andrew, James, Andrew and John they were following another person named, if you know, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, Andrew and John were following another man named John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was passed with this one important task. And what was it? To tell people about Jesus, right? To introduce to the world who Jesus was. So John the Baptist did this. He baptized Jesus. The Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus. God the Father said to Jesus, or so everybody in the crowd saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Now one day as Jesus was walking on the road next to John the Baptist, John the Baptist was baptizing and he saw Jesus. He said to everybody who was around him, that look, look at this man, behold the Lamb of God. So he's telling all his disciples, at that time his disciples included Andrew and John. So by telling his disciples that this is the Lamb of God, he's indeed telling his disciples, hey, follow him, don't follow me anymore, follow this guy, this guy is the Lamb of God. So what did Andrew and John do in that chapter, in John chapter 1, verse, I think, 36? They literally followed him, right? They were walking right behind him, if you read that chapter. And Jesus actually was like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, he turned around and looked at them and said, what are you guys looking for? And Andrew and John said, Rabbi, tell us where you're going. And what did Jesus say? Famous words. Come and see. Come and see, come and follow, come and see. So at that point, Andrew went to get Peter and Peter, James, or Peter, John, and Andrew, and along with two other disciples, Philip, or two other men who followed Jesus, Philip and Nathaniel, they formed this group, started following Jesus, and Jesus began to disciple them. In that year, in that time, in Judea, when these men met Jesus for the first time, telling them that they should surrender everything to follow him. However... They did not yet surrender everything yet. Because as Jesus was ministering in Judea, even though these men were with him at times, they were mostly still working as fishermen in Galilee region, which is not in Judea. As we read here, they're still ministering or still fishing in Galilee. So what happened with these men was that they most likely came down, I don't know, maybe during times they took PTO off their work, came down and served with Jesus, do some kind of ministry in Galilee but they did not yet surrender the fishing business yet or surrender their profession yet. So they're fishing here, as we see here in this passage, and God was working in their hearts throughout this entire time, bringing them closer and closer and closer to Jesus. They're beginning to have their eyes being opened as they're serving with Jesus, like, hey, this kingdom work that Jesus is doing, that is far more important than the work which I'm doing. So I'm going to Give up some of my time at work and come and minister alongside with Jesus to pursue that which is more important. So now, a year later, as Jesus finished out his ministry in Galilee, he's come or finished out his ministry in Judea, he's coming back to Galilee and start ministering here. And he met these four men again along the Sea of Galilee. He's presenting them a call, a greater call a call to surrender everything to follow him. It's calling them to surrender everything. And so we read here in verse 19 through 22, as he called Andrew and Peter, they dropped their nets and followed him. You see, after the year of following with Jesus, they realized something. They knew that kingdom work was more important. So they're going to follow Jesus wherever Jesus calls them to go momentarily. Because what we're going to see is that this is not the last time that Jesus calls them. There's another time that Jesus is going to call them in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. That's the third time that Jesus calls them. And again, Jesus calls them to surrender everything to follow him. In that recording, Jesus actually was preaching to the crowd. He was preaching to the crowd and he saw there were fishermen Fishing along the Sea of Galilee, so he talked to Simon Peter, "Hey, can I use your boat? Can I use your boat?" Simon, "Yeah, sure. Come." And so Jesus sat on the boat and preached to the crowd who was on the shore. And after he preached to the crowd, he told Simon Peter, "Hey, drop down your nets. Drop down your nets along here, where the boat is, for a catch." Simon Peter said to Jesus, "Remember that story?" He said Rabbi or master, we we worked all night. We worked all night. There was no fish. Trust me, there is no fish. But Jesus, you know, like had that conversation. Okay, fine. At your command, I'm gonna drop it down just you know, just for a catch. So they dropped it down, and what happened? A net full of fish came and reeled up and themselves had yet another boat to help them. At that time, Peter this is the third time, the third time that Jesus calls Peter. What did Peter say? He bowed down before Jesus and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, only you, if you understand the process of God's calling Peter's life, you're going to understand why did Jesus say this. Why did Jesus saw fish and all of a sudden cry out to Jesus, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. It is because for this reason alone that Jesus called him three times already. He was scared. (laughs) Scared all his life to follow Jesus. If you know Peter, he always goes back to fishing if he didn't know what to do. That's what he did. He goes back fishing. But this time he knew what Jesus was saying. He's able to defy the reality of his life. He knew that there's no fish. All of a sudden there was fish. Why? How did that happen? He knew that Jesus is Lord. He knew all this time. He knew finally... Through this miracle, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus is calling him to take this step of faith, and that he must surrender all and allow Jesus to reshape his reality. So, seeing his sin of unbelief, as we, if you turn to Luke chapter 5, verse 11, he said, disciples brought the boat to shore, and at that point, they left it all, they left everything to follow him. So many of us we experience this, do we not? We experience God's calling our lives. And God's calling our lives is much like the calling of Andrew, Peter, James, and John. Now, many of us might think, you know, God when God calls us, He calls us with a dramatic conversion experience. He calls us as if He appears to us on a Damascus road and just shines that bright light to our lives, and we know that God's calling us to that certain life. However... For most of us, and for many of us, what we experience is that calling that Andrew, James, and John, and Peter experience is that calling of a gradual change, that calling of a gradual movement toward God. I think of the call of God to my own life as that gradual call, or gradual movement toward God. See, my life, or my family, we were, I was not born in America. I was born in Taiwan, where many people, most people did not believe in God. And my mom was the only person in our family that believed in God, believed in Jesus. So my family and I, we didn't go to church. We didn't know there's no church around us. And my mom, however, she shared the gospel with me as a kid. And the way that she did it for me is very interesting, is that she bought this comic book. I don't know if she still remembers, a comic book that is of jesus the story of jesus has the gospel and everything that jesus said and as a kid an asian kid i would read a lot of comic books a lot and so she knew that captured my attention i was reading this comic book and but what that did for my heart is i brought me to jesus it was that gradual call that gradual change in my life it brought me to jesus i started to be interested about jesus i started to say you know what i'm not going to follow buddhism i'm going to follow ancestral worship i'm going to follow jesus jesus is the true god however i knew that i wasn't saved because i was still living a life of rebelling against god i was middle school times and like that i was getting the fights and i was cussing out people and then you know, i was i wasn't in, regenerate in my own heart but at that time i was going to church because we came to america i started going to church and church to me was the boringest thing ever As a kid, I was 10 years old. I was like, man, I don't want to go to church. Listen to a preacher. I was just trying to find a comfortable place along the pews, and it's in the Bay Area, so it's kind of cold. I wear my jacket, just kind of cuddle in and try to fall asleep. That's what I did at church, just fall asleep. And I was just trying to get out of church because I was thinking, I was tagging along with my mom, and she's like, let's go home, let's go home. Why do I want to go home? I could play video games. I can play video games at home. I could watch TV. I could do all the things I want to do at home. Until one day, my brother brought me to a youth group. In that youth group, there was a a pretty girl that I kind of liked in that youth group. And all of a sudden, church wasn't so bad anymore because I wanted to meet. I wanted to spend more time, you know. And kind of, and I, you know, as a kid, I was like 13 or so. Of course, you know that girl in the youth group was a lot older, and she went to college. So I grew up, you know, and she went to and she wasn't there anymore. All of a sudden I'm left here in that youth group by myself. I was 15, I was leading youth, and I was learning more about God. I was doing pray, I was praying, I was I was doing the Bible studies and learning the Bible study, and God used that to bring me to Him. That process, that gradual process that made sense for my life. So in this process, God was calling me to surrender more and more to Him. Obviously the story didn't end there. I'm here as a pastor. There's a much, much more much, much more, many more incidences of surrender that God's calling me to do. But however, I think we can all say that we experience the same thing with God, do we not? We experience that gradual, gradual calling when more and more things begin to make sense for our lives where we're committing more and more of our lives to Him. Here's the truth. God leads us in phases. He does. God leads us in phases. He's doing so with Andrew, Peter, James, and John. He leads us gently in that very way. First, he shows us his love. In that conversion experience, he shows us that Jesus came to earth. He died for us on the cross to pay for our sins. He gave his righteousness to us, so we're believing unto Jesus by faith. That's all he asks for for you and for me, to come to God, be restored to God by faith and faith alone. But then building on that foundation of faith, we then realize more and more what it means to live for him. We see his love toward us. So we start wondering, what does it mean for us to love other people as he loved us? We see the way that he sacrificed for us. So we begin to wonder, what does it mean for us to sacrifice the way that he sacrificed for us? We see the way that he's patient for us. So we begin to understand more and more what does it mean for us to be patient with others as He is patient for us, and where our lives begin to change, we begin to find our hearts into a more and deeper and deeper commitment to Jesus. So if you feel this way today that you're being drawn to God, I ask you, just don't resist it. Be drawn to Him. Come to Him. If God is calling you to come to church this Sunday morning, as said, you know what? I'm just going to make one Sunday good. Come on this Sunday. Come on a Sunday. If then you feel called, if God then calls you, hey, I think you got to go every week because God is speaking to you on Sundays. Go every week. Go every week as God's gradually pulling you closer and closer to him. And maybe after that, God's calling you to serve at a church, serve on a Sunday morning, serve during the week, and you begin to come more and serve God. In those times. And maybe one day God's gonna call you and the way He called me to give up your profession and to serve God full time. Don't resist it. Follow Him. Follow Him and serve God. See, as we are following Him more and more in our lives, the reason why we make a deeper and deeper commitment to Jesus is because we begin to understand that this is a privilege. More and more we feel that this is a privilege for our lives. And because it's a privilege, we then surrender more. We think this is something that we ought to be doing. We ought to be spending more and more of our time to impact people for the kingdom of God, which leads us to our second point. What we saw here first is that God calls us to follow him and that he calls us to to surrender everything to follow him. And what we're going to see next is that God calls us to follow him and he's calling us to bring people to him. God is calling us to bring others to him. And we're going to see this here clearly in verse 18 through 19. Let's review and understand what this passage is saying. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men so as jesus calls these four men to follow him we saw first that he's calling them to surrender it all to follow him however not only is he calling these men to surrender everything to follow jesus he's also calling them to spend their entire life to make eternal impacts for god So as Jesus now is walking alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Andrew and Peter first along that path. And what they were there doing? They were casting their nets to catch a fish. They were. So many of you, you might not know what casting nets is, but there were many techniques that the ancient Israelites used to cast nets to catch fish. And one of them, as I already described in Luke chapter 5, is called a drag net. What a dragnet is, and it's just interesting facts, what a dragnet is, is that you cast that from a boat, and you, with that boat or with another boat, you are dragging this net along the sea, and you catch fish as you sweep the net across the sea. What Peter and Andrew are doing here is not that. This is a different encounter. What Andrew and Peter were doing now is casting what we call a gill net. They're sitting on the shore, and they're simply casting this net in front of them, into that ocean or into that sea in front of them. And the net is about nine feet long and with weights along the side, and they can cast it so that they drop to the ground and they just simply pull it in, pulling the fish with them. So suddenly, what Jesus did is that he approached them. I don't know if he's behind them or just watched them from a the side and said, hey, guys, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So one must ask, why did Jesus use this terminology? Fishers of men. Jesus did not use this terminology to anybody else besides these four fishermen disciples. Did not call anyone else to be fishers of men except Andrew, James, Peter, and John. It appeared that Jesus was using this language because this was a language that only fishermen would understand. So from what we know is that these people were fishermen. They ministered with Jesus, they were ministering alongside Jesus. They saw what Jesus can do. In that whole year, Jesus was healing people. He was casting out demons. He was creating miracles from his own power. He knew the power of Jesus. They knew the power of Jesus. They knew that Jesus can draw crowds and preach to crowds and convince people to follow him. However, for themselves, they thought they were just Fishermen. They were just fishermen. They're not Jesus. They're not a rabbi. They're not a teacher. They're just fishermen. So, what Jesus here is doing is that he's presenting to them a greater vision for their lives. They thought, you know what? I was just a fisherman. I ain't going to be doing all that Jesus is doing. But Jesus is saying that you don't have to be just a fisherman. What you can be doing is that you could be fishing for men. See, they understood that because they knew that they were good at one thing. They were good at what? Fishing. They knew that they could fish. They knew they could fish. So Jesus now is building on top of their confidence and saying just as good as you are at fishing, you can also impact lives as I have impacted lives. You can do it. can do this don't feel like you're not living up to don't feel like you're not able to do this because if I call you and you follow me certainly your life gonna be different you're gonna be impacting people's lives for eternity you're gonna be good at this as you're good at fishing so by this Andrew Peter and James and John begin to understand what Jesus is saying if they follow Jesus and minister alongside of Jesus, they're going to experience something more for their lives. They're going to impact more than just the physical, just the temporal, just the fishes. In fact, the profession is going to fall away. Fishes are going to be gone. But they're going to instead see women, men, the people who they encounter come to know God, which they know is the most important work, and they are privileged to participate in it. So, by this these disciples then happily accepted the call of Jesus to work alongside Jesus to focus more of their energy to follow God. You know, I think we can, each one of us here today, we can all become doers of things. You know, I worked in the secular field for a long time, and I know that we can just bury our heads into that work without even one minute in our lives talking to anybody around us not sharing the gospel not connecting with unbelievers we can just bear our heads in our work but did you know that the most important work that you and i can do here on earth isn't that particular job is not that particular profession isn't fishing isn't any of that as Andrew and peter and john were experiencing but rather the most important work that we can be doing in our lives is to bring people to jesus It is that. You know, I think pastors can fall into this too. As a pastor, you think that I'm always connecting people to Jesus? Not necessarily. Because pastors, all their lives, they could be just burying themselves in church work as well. All their day, they can be talking to Christians, teaching Christians, preaching to Christians, counseling Christians. And throughout the week, they don't talk to unbelievers at all. I know, because I can live that life. And I'm remembering God is calling me to connect people to God, especially unbelievers to God. So what I do and what I do on uh, Wednesday afternoon, if you don't know what we do, and also beginning on Friday mornings, we begin to set up here in front of our church, a prayer setting, a setting of prayer. And we sit out there and we pray for people. And people come by and miraculously people interact with us. Now the interaction isn't always pleasant. But they do, which is amazing, which is what we wanted. Some people come and it cusses out. Some people ignore us. Some people wanted to pray. Just this week, I was talking to somebody. I was like, you know, I'm going to reach out. So I said, hey, you want to? And this person was, after heard I was a pastor, for some reason had a grudge, and maybe, I I don't know, start to say really, really disrespectful things toward me. And I'm thinking, I, I love you. And and in my process of loving this person, I'm humiliated by this person. That I didn't, you know, I was thinking, I'm not going to respond, I'm just gonna love. But yeah, that's that's evangelism, is it not? That's loving people, and because Jesus actually came and did this exact thing. He did, he humbled himself for the purpose of bring all of us back to him. His entire purpose on earth was to connect ungrateful people to God, is it not? His entire purpose was to connect ungrateful people to God. He was mocked, he was ridiculed, he even died on the cross, thought that people thought he was a sinner. But all this time he was actually dying for your sin and my sin so that we may be with him. He then resurrected from the dead. He didn't have to. He didn't have to die in the first place. But you know why he resurrected? To show us that you and I, we can also resurrect. To give us that power. That's what he did it for. He's lived this life for this purpose to connect us to God. And he did it all for us. So today, today, as we follow Jesus, we also work toward that purpose, to bring others to know our Lord and Savior. Whether we're working in a secular field or whether we're doing ministry, our final purpose is to bring people to know Jesus. That is our final purpose. You know, I think for us Christians, the way we bring people to Jesus, we must first tell people about Jesus, right? People aren't going to believe in Jesus by watching your life. I mean, you could be a really good behaving Buddhist. But people are only going to know about Jesus when you tell them about Jesus. Right? You must share with them the gospel. You must share with them the story of Jesus, the fact that he came and he died for our sins and that he gave his righteousness to us and that he resurrected on the third day and one day is going to bring us all to himself and to live eternally with him. We must tell people that story. That is the gospel story by which people must believe in order to be saved. At the same time, I think evangelism, telling people about Jesus and that gospel presentation takes a lot of time, or it takes a lot of patience, and takes a lot of looking for the right opportunities. You know, one of the reasons I believe that Jesus picked fishermen To be his first disciples is because fishermen are extremely patient are they not they have to be for their job they're extremely patient always waiting always waiting for the right opportunities always waiting for the right time to bring in the catch i think a good evangelist is always waiting for the right opportunity as well we must be waiting for the right opportunity and you ask Well, how do you know there is the right opportunity for me to share the gospel with the unbelievers around me? You know, I think opportunities exist everywhere if you only pray for it and work toward it and wait for it. For me, opportunities occur in this way. You know, I worked, as I said, in the secular world for many, many years. And I knew, I found out what happened is that as you befriend people who are not believers, as you become really good friends with them and just really love them and care for their lives, be genuinely interested, what people are going to do is that they're going to share more and more about their lives with you, the things that bother them, the things that trouble them. So what I do is I just say, hey, you know, I'm a Christian and I would love to pray for you. I would love to pray for you. I'd love to pray for you just see what God does. So I pray for them. And usually people don't say no. I mean, they can, but they usually don't. So I pray for them after I pray for them. And I just keep reaching out to them and ask them, hey, how, how is that going? You know, I pray for you. How is it going? And I keep reaching out, keep ministering to them. And at that moment, the door of the gospel is open. Oftentimes, sharing the gospel is just not just at one time, but rather throughout that time of my relationship with that person, I can continue to talk about spiritual thing, things with this individual. So I ask you, in your own individual working environment or wherever it is that you're encountering and in your own relationships, whether it be family relationships or work relationships, give it a try. Give it a try. Pray for people. Ask people, hey, I'm a Christian. I I see that you have this thing. Um, I struggle too. My life is a mess. But I would love to pray for you. I, I would love to pray for myself in the process as well and just see what God does and allow that to be the door that opens to a greater conversation about God. You say, hey, I still, I mean, sounds good. I don't really know how to do it. I'd love to kind of follow along and see how people do this. Well, come out. We as a church, we do this all the time in the front porch on Wednesday afternoons and, 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 and Friday mornings. We set up in front of our church and we pray for people. If you'd like to learn how to do this, come out and do it together. We can see how these times of praying for people turn into times of sharing the gospel and bringing people to Jesus. And know that as we do this with people, we're just simply waiting for God to bring the right person. See, we can't save anybody, but certainly God can. So we're waiting in the process as we are are sharing the gospel with people. And certainly Jesus himself waited too, did he not? He waited for Andrew, James, and John, and Peter. For almost a year and a half before they became his full-time disciples. So I ask you come out and allow us as a child church to shine brightly as a light for the surrounding communities for Christ and whoever God brings to him is who God brings to him in his own timing. God calls us as a church even us outside of our church to follow him. In following him, God is calling us to surrender our lives to follow him. And not only so, God is calling us to bring people to him. Evangelism, telling people about Jesus, does become messy at times. The reason why is because we are entering into people's lives to tell them about Jesus. And people's lives are messy. They are, it's not pretty just like my life is not pretty and neither is yours. All our lives are messy. And entering into people's lives and taking up that challenge and bringing them to Jesus is what evangelism is. You know, one time I was teaching my daughter Sophia how to swim. She was doing extremely well in a pool and we were swimming and I was swimming next to her just making sure she was, she was able to make back and forth in the long way, swim across the deep end of the uh, deep end of the pool. And so I was teaching her, swimming next to her. And all of a sudden, when she was above the area that is about nine feet tall, where she can't touch the ground and I can't touch the ground, she began to panic. She began to panic, and of course at that point she wasn't swimming anymore, she was just sinking. <laughs> and so I saw this, I grabbed onto her, and I'm not a good swimmer by any chance. I mean, I know how to swim by myself, but I don't know only that, all that rescue stuff you know, where you can like <laughs> lift up that person's head and swim to shore. I didn't know any of that. I mean, that takes training. I don't know any of that. But I knew one thing. I knew that if I can grab onto her, and we're kind of in the middle, but if I can just swim a couple of feet to the edge where I can hold on to the edge of the pool, then we're good. Because I can pull myself up and I can pull her up and we'll be safe. Thus is evangelism. This is evangelism. You see, when we enter into people's lives, we're in that pool with them. And it's hard, because people's lives are messy, just like our lives are messy, and we're helping them figure it out. Because the only effect of evangelism is when we build relationships with people and start to adopt their problems into our lives. We must. We must care about them. We must adopt them into our hearts, and our minds, into our schedule, and begin to care about them in such a way that it matters to us. But while we're there with them in that pool, it feels risky. It feels dangerous. But we're just not with them. We're also with one hand holding on to that immovable person, Jesus Christ. You see, with one hand holding on to our friend who's not a believer, one hand holding on to Jesus, and pulling them toward Jesus, that's what we're doing in evangelism. We're leading them to see that that solid rock, that solid foundation, which we're trusting our lives on, they can also trust their lives with. And once they learn that, they also become followers of Jesus. See, God gives us the privilege to bring many to Jesus and promises that we shall all be fishermen, fishers of men, if we do this for him. He gives us the privilege to show the world about himself. As we do so, risking everything which we have in this world, surrendering it all to bring people to Jesus, we surely are going to see many fruits for Christ. And it is those fruits for Christ that we're going to be celebrating forever and ever when we see Jesus again in eternity. Let's pray. Our Father, we we thank you for your calling. We thank you for your love and we thank you for connecting us to yourself in that first place. We know, Lord, that our work here on earth, the most important work which we can do is to connect others to you. So I pray, Father, now even as your spirit is speaking to us, that we can begin to think about people in our own lives now that you've been saying to us, Hey, I want you to go and share the gospel with this person. I want you to go and introduce myself to that person that we would go even today we we'll probably give this person a call or go visit this person and tell this person about jesus and i pray father the spirit of god is indeed working alongside each one of us that this person who we share the gospel with indeed experience true conversion a true knowing of jesus and that they too also see jesus christ as a solid foundation for their lives we thank you for your love for us we thank you for jesus in jesus name we pray Amen.